pray. Father God, this morning, Lord, as we're sitting in our seats and as we're, we're listening to the word, as we're listening to what you're saying to us, would you speak to us clearly? Lord, the whole message isn't for each and every one of us, but a portion of the message is for me. Today, I want to hear your voice in this message that speaks directly to where I am, that I may rely on you and enter into the promises that you have for me. Father, move me. Help me be the unstoppable force that you've called us to be as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, take a seat, guys. I mean, now you can sit down. It's nice to get comfy in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Not as comfy as my kids, though. They were laying down here during worship. But I must say, Hamish was actually singing, which is a lovely feeling as a parent, watching your young ones singing to the Lord. So that's really good. So um, we're in our second week of our series called 3D. And uh, our lovely Reuben, if he doesn't mind throwing up our PowerPoint, that'll be awesome. Thank you, my friend. 3D, how God sees you and I. and uh, Or 3D, how God sees you and me, just so it sounds like a little bit of a rhyme and makes you think that I put some thought into it, but I didn't. It's just who God is, eh? And, uh, but we're in our second week where last week we, we looked at this whole perspective of how God sees us from the position of what? That God has delivered us. That God himself is our deliverer. And by delivering us, he's delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his light. That he's made this possible through the giving and death of his son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life so that you can be delivered. Amen. And uh, God showed us last week that, that he is our deliverer. And I asked you to go home and think about that. And when, when I think about what I asked you to think about, Think about these things of what God has done in your life. And don't just think about it. The challenge comes from that. It's time to start speaking about it. Many of us are held captive in our thinking in in and around our testimony, aren't we? We think, oh, we don't have a fantastic testimony. You know, we've just got one of those dry old average testimonies. I grew up in a good family. I grew up in a... Um, and, and I came to church at a young age and God's just been good to me ever since. You know, I had a little bit of a walk away, but he showed me his faithfulness. And you know what? I've just got a standard run-of-the-mill testimony. Who identifies with that kind of testimony? Let me tell you, that is a testimony that is more powerful than a testimony that is of one that has been delivered from drugs and delivered from crime and delivered. Why is that? Well, I think the enemy tries to suppress our powerful testimony no matter what. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you've been saved from, no matter how God did it in your life, it is still the power of God's mercy and grace that has set you free. And no one should stop you from sharing your testimony. Nothing should come in between you sharing the story of the God who delivered you out of whatever it was. And if you connect with that point and that purpose of God delivered you from something. He delivered you from a life of your own self-control. He delivered you of a life of sin. He delivered you from a life of all of the stuff that living in opposition from him. He brought you into the kingdom of his light and he now calls you son. He calls you friend and he calls you his. And nothing should stop you from sharing your testimony, no matter how lame you think it is. 
because it is the power of God under salvation. Your testimony will speak to other people. And the enemy wants to stop you speaking to other people because he doesn't want anyone else to come into the knowledge of the gospel. He doesn't want anyone else to come into the knowledge of the kingdom of God. And something we're going to do as a church and we're starting to put into practice now is uh, we want to start recording your testimonies, whether it be uh, written um, in, a, in, a, in a book or shown in our newsletter or even taking video and capturing parts of your testimony so that it can be shared to bring glory and honor to God. We want to do this. And that's why I said, go home. Think about God, your deliverer. Think of how he delivered you. Pray, God, show me why you delivered me. Pray, God, talk to me about deliverance and help me understand what you saved me from and who you saved me to be. Because it's the power of your testimony that's going to see more people in Griffith come to Christ than we ever could standing up here preaching from a pulpit. Why is that? Because the church needs to be one and unified in the power of the gospel. You will speak to more people than I ever will. And I know God's got me speaking before thousands upon thousands. So think about it. How many will you speak to? How many will your testimony speak to? How many will the declarations of the goodness of God think to? And that's why we need a perspective, a shift, a change in the way we see ourselves and line up with the way God sees us. Because your testimony is power. And one of the ways we're going to do this is I've talked to Michael Dalla while he's here for a little while throughout the year. He's putting a team around of young people and other people that he can go and talk to and say, hey, let's go and record these testimonies. So he's going to come and talk to you guys and he's going to try and get your testimonies to share. We'll put them up on the screen. We'll do all sorts of things because we want to highlight the power of testimony. Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's what we need to see. So we're looking at seeing this happen. So by discovering God being our deliverer connects us with the point that he delivered us. And it makes us think about what is my testimony and how can my testimony be used in power. Amen? So God, last week we also looked at this whole sense um, of God being our deliverer. And I said this one statement that may have stuck with you. I pray it haunted you through the week. Um, in a good way but I do pray that you thought about it and that statement was this God is not satisfied with a token salvation God is not satisfied with a token salvation a salvation of where you reach out once and you hear from Jesus and he comes and lives in your heart and then that's it that your walk stops with Jesus he is more satisfied with walking a life with you a daily devotion with you a daily relationship with you he wants you to move beyond the point of just that one encounter and he wants you to move into a position of encounter each and every day did you know god has a destiny and a purpose for you we've said it enough you should know that by now god has a destiny and a purpose for each and every one of us and it's often how we see ourselves that overshadows this and keeps us from moving into the plans and destinies of God our good father one way to break this from our lives is to begin to share your testimony of God's deliverance as I've said be a voice for the power of God's salvation you see God has the power to declare this himself but he has chosen to submit himself to your voice 
God can turn up at any moment and say, here I am, and the flashes of lightning and the power and thunder can come, and he can do so, but he has chosen not to do that. He has chosen to submit himself to his church as the revelation of his goodness, which means you and I, we have a purpose and a destiny of declaring the goodness of God. That is our purpose in God. Part of the steps toward breakthrough is speaking about how good God is and how good he has been to us. And I feel the difference in me came as I moved from a token salvation to a powerful salvation. And the key was my testimony. The key was actually me valuing the testimony that I have. In fact, I, I am sure my testimony is starting to become something that is not the norm. Your testimony is something that is not normal. It is supernatural in nature and it is something to embrace. As I started to declare the goodness of God, I started seeing my salvation as a powerful vehicle of change in my life. I moved from not just coming to Jesus to escape an impending judgment to seeing that God had a call and a purpose for me. That salvation was the doorway to which I would partner with God to live a life of fullness and abundance in him. Now, while the doorway is narrow and Jesus says, I am the door, while that is a narrow way and there is only one way that leads to heaven, you step through that doorway and you discover that there is infinite amount of purpose in your life. And it's actually up to us to want to partner with God. He doesn't grab us by the ear and drag us along. He is a good father and he reveals his goodness to us to make us want to come after him. His reckless love is what pursued us to come in through the door. But once we come in through the door, there is the responsibility on us to foster that love and nurture that love like a bride to her husband. That is our responsibility. And, and intimacy with God is something that he calls us to, but we must accept and step into. And it's this that leads us into our calling and our purpose. And it's also this that leads us to my next step in our series in 3D. Our second D if our first was God is our deliverer, our second D is that God has called us to discipleship. Jesus died that we could be restored in relationship with God. Yet salvation is not the end game. He did not tell those who followed him to go and make converts, but to go and make disciples. It was not, it's not enough for you just to share the gospel and then walk away from that person. You're called to make disciples, to walk with and partner with other people as they come into a journey with Jesus, to walk with them and guide them. And if you know how to talk to God, if you can find the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and if you know how to drive in through that gate and walk in through that door, then you've got something to teach another person and you can disciple them after yourself in that way. We've all got something to share and to bring to other people. Let's look at scripture. The scripture I chose today was Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. 
where the word says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Within this, we see a number of invitations, not just the one. The first invitation is this. It's to come to Jesus, where we find rest from our dead works. You will find rest for your souls, it says. Your soul is ever looking for fulfillment. Your soul is that which is a part of you, your mind, your will and emotions that is always looking for the next hit, the next thing, the next big thing in your life, whatever it is, because it's always looking to fill a void and a hole in your life. I will give rest to your soul is this sense that Jesus will stop you seeking after dead works. And you will be content in him. Your, your soulless attitudes will begin to be conformed to Christ and your will, that which you're looking for, will start to look more like his will and what he's looking for. I will give rest from your dead works. The second is this one, it's to cleave to him. And that's an old word. And it's kind of used in this sense of uh, a husband and a wife coming and cleaving one to another. That you become one flesh. That... That from that position, the world now, or God and the world now see you as one. To cleave to Jesus, and it's this whole sense of yoking yourself to Him. It's not just to follow Him at a distance. Like I said last week, God's not content with a token salvation. But what He wants and desires is that you would yoke yourself to Him. That is what discipleship is all about. It's not just coming to him for the rest of your dead works and that your soul would be at peace, but it's also to come to him and yoke yourself to him, to cleave to him and to be in a position where he would teach you his ways. Learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Is the third. Learning of him, relying on his transformative power and grace whilst growing ever like him? Is it the desire of your heart to want to live like Christ? Is it the desire of your heart to want to live free of sin? Is it the desire of your life to want to do the exploits of God the way Jesus and his disciples did the exploits of God? The only way this is possible is if that you come to him and you learn of him by cleaving to him. You cannot do it independent of Jesus Christ. This is the call of God to be a disciple of the King. Come to, cleave to, and learn of Jesus. Jesus has called us to himself to become disciples of there's a story in John. In the, it's the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It's found in John chapter 13. And we read what Jesus taught them. It's a lesson not just about washing feet, by the way, but truly coming to Jesus with a heart and intention to do as he does. Open your Bibles to John chapter 13 and verse 13. For those of you who don't have your Bible, I've put a cheat screen up there for you. 
And you can read along with me. It says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Verse 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. When Jesus calls those who would follow him his disciples, he elevates them to a place of partnership. So it is one thing to be a follower of Jesus. It is another thing to be called a disciple of Jesus. If you think about the followers of Jesus, in Mark's gospel, he stands up and he says to them, if you should eat of my flesh and you should drink of my blood, then I can call you friend. Then I can call you mine. Then I will truly know. And the crowds, those who followed him, became offended and left. He looked to Peter and the disciples and he says, will you go also? What was their response? Where shall we go? Exactly right. You are the Messiah. You are the King of Kings. You are the answer from heaven. You are the one we've been seeking all of our life. It was a disciple's response to take the hard things that Jesus said, not fully understand them, but begin to cleave to him so that they can come into his understanding. There have been many followers in our journey as churches and the churches that we've been in. But when God speaks, the followers drop off and the disciples usually stay. Those who are after the heart of God, those who are pursuing the kingdom, those who want to see it expand beyond their own realm and see it impact a world that they are in love with as much as Jesus is. When Jesus calls you to be his disciple, what he's calling you is into partnership to be with him in his purposes for the world. A disciple can't be anything but. Jesus not only delivered us, he purposed within us passion for his kingdom. He planted within those who come to him genuinely the gift of the Holy Spirit, who not only keeps us from sin, but empowers us to overcome the flesh and choose to lay our life down and follow Jesus as our example. That is to lay down everything we are for the cause of the gospel. That might sound heavy and it might sound hard but it's to lay your life down in the purposes that God has for you in the life and calling that he has for you it's not to lay your life down and pursue ministry and to become a pastor for some of you that may be the truth but for the majority of us it's actually to lay our life down and become his representative in the community and in the marketplace that he's put us This is not the ultimate end game of being a disciple, standing behind a pulpit. The ultimate end game is to be someone who reveals Christ in every circumstance that they're in. 
that people would not see you, no matter how good looking you are, but they would see the Christ that's in you and that they would be drawn to his beauty and they would be drawn to his power and they would be, be drawn to his lordship so that they too can do the same. This is the power of discipleship. Discipleship is a pattern to follow. When Jesus calls those who would follow him as disciples, he elevates them to a place of partnership. Who wants to be a partner of Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. Your life is his. You look at those photos there and I picked them, I picked them purposefully. We have, we have those who are on a journey. Discipleship is a journey. We have those who lay their life down and take up their cross and follow Jesus. And we have those, look at this, who are gathering around the word and who are holding hands in prayer. I purposefully picked those because I want to demonstrate that your life belongs to him. And it is only found in, in this image of the disciple, the one who would follow Jesus and give his life and devote it to become like Christ. That is ultimately what we can call a disciple. There are four things in this I want to share with you today. Firstly, I might even have a hope of hitting the right time today, praise God. Firstly, the first D of our discipleship, sorry, the, the first D was deliverer, our second D was discipleship. There are four points in discipleship I want to highlight to you. Firstly, Jesus sees, which means disciple is acknowledged. A disciple is not lowly and forgotten about. A disciple is someone who follows. And even an Old Testament disciple, and in the time of Jesus, a disciple would be someone who would follow that closely that they would be covered in the dust of their rabbi. They would follow so closely that as they are walking in his dust that they would feel the blessing and the anointing of the one that they were following. Jesus wants us to be so close that he calls you first because he sees you. I don't know about you, but it's something empowering knowing that the God of the universe, the one who spoke and it all came into being, sees my particular circumstance and actually cares about it. He knows what I'm walking through. He understands it more than I give him credit for. And he gives me the ability and the grace to overcome it. That Jesus sees you in the midst of your dire circumstances is something that is amazing and beyond any other religious thought that is out there. Jesus sees you and he acknowledges you. I said to our students at school during the week, we're talking about this character quality of attentiveness and being attentive. She's all right. She's not bothering me. She can hide there. Jesus talking about attentiveness. Sorry, not Jesus. I talked to them about attentiveness. And, and I said to them this very point. About Jesus shows attentiveness even to us. As he knows where we are. And he knows where we're coming from. How can I say this? Well then in John 1.43. You may open there quickly. John 1.43. It's pretty early on in John's story, isn't it? But John 1.43, it means that it's coming up around the time where Jesus is calling his disciples. There's this story that's sitting there for us. 
It says this, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The the context of this is that every day, God has been silent for 400 years. Every day, these people were looking for a Messiah that was promised to come and deliver them from the scourge of their enemies and oppressors. And here they have Philip running to Nathanael. We found the Messiah. And guess what? He called me to follow him. The excitement that's there. Listen to Nathanael's response. He said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, I like this, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. I like that, do you? In whom there is no deceit. Nathanael's confused at this time. He says, How do you know me? Jesus said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. In Jesus' prayers, while he was meditating and thinking through the things that God had for him for the day, God gave him a vision, obviously, of Nathaniel doing the same thing. Hidden under the fig tree, talking to God, wondering what was going to happen and when the Messiah was coming. And Jesus said, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. It wasn't a physical sight. It was something that Jesus supernaturally came to understand through the power of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit highlighted this to Jesus, then it tells me another thing. It's not just Jesus who sees you. It's the entire Godhead who sees you and has a heart for you. God sees you. Not only does he see you, but he is attentive toward you. I like that story. I like knowing that Jesus sees me. How about you? The second is, in knowing as a disciple that I'm seen, the second thing is that Jesus calls. Oh, hang on, let's go back one. I didn't realize I put this one in there. Psalm 103. Why would I have put this in there, Steve? Ah, let's look at this Psalm 103 the Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and I can't even read that slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love he will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who will fear him. I think in the moment of Nathaniel, and I shared this scripture last week, but in the context of Nathaniel, he discovered that he actually feared the Lord more than he feared his own worldview of is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth. 
in that moment when he encountered God and God said to him, I saw you under the fig tree. It was just like the fear of the Lord came over him. And we see the steadfast love encounter him. Does that make sense? Awesome. The second one then is if Jesus sees us, he also calls us. A disciple is called to follow. Amen? So disciples, they follow a call. Jesus called those to follow him. Then he called them to call others. Do you know that you are called to follow? Matthew 4. We better open that one and read that too. No, I've got it here. It says this, Matthew 4, 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. That's Matthew 4, 18 to 22. I like the way Matthew wrote that. Immediately when they heard the call, they left the boats and their nets and followed him. There's something that's kind of snuck into the Western church. I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. I know I used to be doing it. I know it sort of oozed out of me because I was such a phlegmatic kind of person. But there's something that snuck into the church that is not a good thing. And what it actually is, is this sense of having no immediate response. That that it's okay, we can get away with it because we're comfortable and we're chill. We can do whatever we want. Failing to remember that when God calls, there should be an immediate response. There should be an action that takes place when we hear the voice of God and immediately jump to attention. I like Matthew puts that in there for us. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and they followed him. We see that the call itself is hard. They left their livelihood. They left the love of their father. So they left their family. Not knowing what the next step was, they started to walk with Jesus. The call is not meant to be easy though. There are thousands upon thousands of Christians worldwide that are persecuted every day for saying yes to Jesus. There are, there are more than you can think of or imagine that are dying daily because of their yes to Jesus and their no to the, their selfish wills. There is so much that we miss because of our comfortable lives. The call itself It costs us our life. But the benefits far outweigh anything that we could ever want to hang on to. Whether it's our job, our families, our our money, whether it's, it's, it's whatever it is, the benefits within the kingdom of God here and 
after death far outweigh anything we could ever imagine. God is just looking for your yes and your immediate response. The rest falls into place. My life is so much better today than it ever could have been if I had tried to do it myself. And I can stand and I can attest from that from the mountaintops because I gave my life to Jesus and trusted him with everything. I had no idea where it would lead, but I had this one idea that God is faithful and I can trust him. And that was all. The call, though, can be hard. So Matthew, uh, Mark 10, 17. Let's flick over there. Mark chapter 10 and verse 16, 17. Mark 10 and verse 17. The first one was the call of Peter, James and John. and The other one escapes me. Always escapes me. The second one, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now, as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit, inherit, inherit eternal life? Notice that he came and he knelt, which meant that he... He subjected himself to him. He, he honoured Jesus. In a sense, he worshipped Jesus. He knelt before him. He says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. It's not a statement of him saying, I'm not God. It's a statement of saying, are you calling me God? Hmm. You know the commandments. Do, you, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not be uh, defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Verse 20, And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Hmm. A man who had kept his righteousness. So Jesus ups the ante a little. And he said to him, Teacher, uh, sorry, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at his word, and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This man had just received a call, the same as Peter and the other apostles. This man, we have no idea what happened to him. When his destiny could possibly have been to be written within the pages of this book. The call itself is hard. Because God wants to challenge you at the very thing that you want to put before him. My, in my life, what it was, was that I was comfortable in Griffith. I love this city. In fact, I believe it's the passion that God has given for, to me. So I used to say, well, I'm going to stay here for the rest of my life. My life and my calling and my ministry changed the moment that my wife and I knelt down before God and said these very words. God, even if it's to the center of Mumbai, we will follow you wherever you call us because that is the most important thing 
for us is to be in the center of your will. I have no desire to be on another continent at all. But until I came to that place and gave over that one thing in my life that I knew I was putting more importantly above, my, above God's call by putting my self-will in there, until I let that go, my calling was stuck. Whatever it is for your life, the call to be a disciple is about taking up your cross and following Jesus. It may be money, it may be family, it may be, but God is going to challenge whatever that is to the point and you will not experience or encounter the breakthrough that God has for your life until you encounter that one thing that it is. And in this case, for this man, it was the richness that he had to walk away from. Who knows? God could have multiplied 10 times his wealth. Who knows what God could have done if he had done what Jesus said, sold everything and gave to the poor. Jesus calls and a disciple will follow the call. There should be nothing before our God. Thirdly, when God calls, we're called as disciples in this sense of fellowship. It's in fellowship that we learn of him. To be a disciple means that we're following him in every aspect of our life. That we're not just wanting to be like him, but we're following him. We're learning of his actions. We're learning of his word. We're learning to hear the voice of the spirit as he leads us. Matthew sixteen twenty four. Done myself a disservice this morning, didn't put my verses in there. Matthew 16 and 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what Will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come and his angels, with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Matthew sixteen twenty four to 27. Fellowship is a discipline that we must continue in. To say you're going to follow Jesus is to make the decision of your will every time it's challenged. Sometime that's daily. Are you going to follow Jesus into this situation? Are you going to follow Jesus into this one? Are you going to follow him as he calls you to extend your workplace? Or are you going to follow him as he asks you to give over and above what you thought you might. Whatever it is, God is asking you to follow him. And fellowship is actually one of the key points of being a disciple. Lastly, our fourth point, in discipleship, we discover our motivations. Those God-gifted motivations in our life that bring joy to us, that enlighten us and illuminate us in such a way, we discover them 
only as we follow Jesus. It's discipleship that opens the door that brings in joy abundantly. You can pursue God all you like from jumping from one church to the next, going from one conference to the next. You can pursue the experience all you like. And I tell you, you will come home and by Wednesday of that week, you will be dry, you will be empty, and you'll be looking for your next high. The truth of the matter is when you cleave yourself to Jesus and he becomes the source of your joy, your life begins to transform. Joy is not based in an experience. It's based in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. Peter never would have grown into the leader he was without encountering Jesus. John would have never had the revelation that he had if he never followed Jesus into exile. Paul would have never traveled the known world if he never encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And let's just take a point here. Paul would never have gone to Rome if he hadn't have believed that it was the Holy Spirit's purpose for him and under his death. And that was a massive journey that he undertook. And the years that it took and him being able to witness of the goodness of God in that. Countless millions would have never carried the gospel through the ages that we too would encounter the living Christ if they had never encountered Christ as their portion of joy. Missionaries leaving their families, going across the, the, the oceans only to end up in a pot or only to end up somewhere where they would be sacrificed to another God giving up their children to be missionaries. Could you think of that as a parent? But it was the joy of the Lord that caused them to do this. A mass expansion of the kingdom of God happened because people encountered Christ and they didn't encounter an experience of something that comes from going to a nightclub or a conference or something like that. Missionaries who laid down everything for the kingdom... In dying to ourselves, we discover that what was lost was a mere shadow of who God sees us becoming. When you discover your motivations, I believe you connect with God at a level so profound you are filled with his joy and strength. Then the challenges in them pale into insignificance in the light of his love. Philip would have never been the evangelist to a city if he hadn't of first love, serving widows and serving on tables and being part of the church visitation team. It was his love and motivation to encounter joy in his purpose of serving as a deacon of the church that opened the door for God to call him and release him into the evangelist to a city. A conclusion for us today. I got this picture up there. I don't know where I found it. I stumbled on it really quickly. You can take a photo of it if you like. It's, a, it's a quite an interesting read, but we can just see here this chasm which so interestingly explains the gospel that on this side we must be born again, that we are spiritually dead until we come to Christ and Christ is the bridge that comes over. From there, we're on this journey of discipleship, a journey of growing up into Christ-likeness. We, we can see the maturity, a spiritual infant, a spiritual child, a spiritual young adult, a spiritual parent, and a spiritual grandparent. 
modeled after the way God has designed you to be. And then you see here, the spiritual infant needs guidance, John 3, 3 to 8. A spiritual child, they start to become self-focused and self-aware where they're, they're mucking around with the things and they're not even interested in what's going on around them. They're just interested in what's happening in their life. Many people get stuck here in these two realms. The spiritual infant who's never come to the place of saying, will you teach me how to grow? The self-focused one, the one chasing the experience, the one chasing and going from one to the next. Then you see the spiritual young adult starts to happen, this kingdom focus. There's something greater than just myself. And then you start to see that as, you be, as you're discipled and following and come and growing up into maturity, that you start to see that you become a parent and that your call is to disciple others. That that, that is the process of disciple making. And then for some of us, some of us make it to adulthood in our old age. What a privilege and a blessing it is to be able to, to, um, to make the age of wisdom and gray hair. But then there's a responsibility when it comes to discipleship in the kingdom and looking at our spiritual maturity. That it's not just enough to be making one uh, disciple and then walking for the next five years with that one. But that you want to make disciple makers. So those that you're calling along the line and you're seeing God do stuff in them, you're encouraging them. You need to do the same thing. And addition goes to multiplication because more people see the kingdom expand. There's a good picture of discipleship process, but it's something that God has for all of us. Every one of us can share the gospel. Every one of us can lay our life down an hour a week to spend in time in prayer for someone or with someone. Every one of us can make a phone call and say, how are you going with the Lord today? I've got this encouragement for you as you read your devotion to them, whatever scripture you're reading. Every one of you can ring someone up and say, hey, would you like to come to church with me today? Every one of you has the ability to do this. Every one of you as you work through the journey, when you start at this point, when you move through this and you come into kingdom focus, the next shift is that you're called to be a disciple and therefore making disciples. This is something that God wants to grow us all up into. It's how He sees you. It's how He wants to fulfill His call in your life. It's a 3D picture of who you are. We will not make any impact on a city called Griffith if we do not get serious and organized in our discipleship. Jesus took 12 men and sowed his life into them. Then he took 72, and from there he took the multitudes. This turned their world upside down. We've got things like grow groups here at church. It's a way of being discipled. It's a way of encountering the kingdom of God in, a, in a such a way that you would grow up in spiritual maturity, that you would want to become disciple makers yourself. It's a, an expression of the fullness of what God's called you to be. And I hope that every grow group would grow in the ways and the purposes of God. We've got studies available. We've got the opportunities to serve available. All of these are about discipling you up into Christ. And lastly, We've got opportunities to share the gospel, to get out one-on-one, -on -one, to get out as groups of people and to go and share the love of God.
we can turn the world upside down just like Jesus' disciples did if we would capture his heart for us and how he sees us as disciples. My last question for you to reflect on. Are you seen the way he's seen? Let us pray. Father God, today we ask that you would speak into our hearts about following you. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak your very call into our lives, that there would be, Lord, moments where people would dream of you calling them, that they would have visions of the call of Christ to follow him, to be made fishers of men, that we would encounter, Lord, as Nathaniel encountered, the Christ who sees us and the one who died that we can be set free. Lord, today, empower us to live as followers who disciple after the discipler. This we pray in Jesus' mighty name.